The year is 62 AD, and a massive 7.5 earthquake has just devastated the city of Pompeii. The foundations of the city were shaken to the core, and the buildings, homes, and temples suffered severe damage. Pompeii is located 241 kilometers, or 149 miles, south of Rome, and at the time was home to 20,000 Pompeians. Unfortunately for the population of Pompeii, the worst was yet to come. Now turn down the lights, turn up the volume, and join me, Autumn Rivas, in a darkly lit place while I tell you about the tragic history of Pompeii and the deadly eruption of Mount Vesuvius. Seventeen years had passed since the devastation of the earthquake on February 5th of 62 AD. Pompeii had all but been rebuilt, and life was normal again. Politicians were running for office, merchants and shopkeepers were open for business, and the brothels had no shortage of clients. Fulleries, or laundry facilities, were another important business in Pompeii. Fulleries wove, dyed, and washed fabric, Interestingly, human and animal urine were some of the main substances stomped into the fabric to clean it. As opposite world as this sounds, urine was reportedly very effective in removing grease stains from fabric. Human urine was even taxed, and it's said that when Emperor Vespasian's son Titus complained to his father about the outrageous taxation, the emperor simply replied, Money doesn't smell. Clay pots and jars were placed along the side streets and close to the fullery entrance to encourage pedestrians to make a urine deposit. The urine would be collected and poured into the stomping or pounding basins at the fulleries, where slaves would stomp the urine into the fabric to pound out the stains and dirt. I can only imagine this pre-Febreze pre-dryer sheet smell that would accompany your so-called urine-cleansed garments. The streets of the city were busy and filled with people, horses, and carts. The Temple of Isis had undergone severe damage during the earthquake of 62 and had now been completely rebuilt. Isis was an Egyptian deity goddess of fertility and motherhood, healer of the sick and protector of sailors. The cult worship of the goddess Isis spread to the Roman Empire after Alexander the Great conquered Egypt and Greece, and eventually, through trade with the East, it permeated throughout the Roman Empire. Walking past the city walls and entering the city of Pompeii today is like walking into a time capsule from days when the ancient empire of Rome reigned supreme. Then by fate or destiny, or just by happenstance, the city which had been all but completely forgotten 
was rediscovered in 1594 during the build of a new aqueduct. The actual exploration and excavation of the ancient city wouldn't begin until 1748, nearly two centuries since its tragic volcanic burial, under the mass of 10 billion tons of rock and ash, and it materialized into a most amazing discovery of the past. Markings on the outer building facades still displayed the visible remnants of political campaign aspirations, the equivalent of today's political yard signs. Paintings and mosaic tiled floors were preserved under thick layers of volcanic discharge. And the most famous of the remains of Pompeii, the plaster casts of the human and animal remains, those who had endured the most catastrophic and horrific deaths, often frozen in time with their hands and arms up to shield their eyes and mouth from the deadly, scalding air, ash, and debris. The 24th of August, 79 AD, begins like any other day. The people arose, the shops opened, and the residents made their way to the market. But in just 24 hours, at least one quarter of the population will have perished. For several days now, light to moderate tremors could be felt in and around the city of Pompeii. This was not unusual for the area, so no one considered or paid any attention that this was a warning for what was to come. Mount Vesuvius had been dormant for an estimated 1,500 years. It was covered in foliage, trees, and flowers. It was a beautiful mountain backdrop six miles from the center of the city of Pompeii. Most of what we know about that fateful day and the timeline of the eruptions comes from letters and documentation of Gaius Caecilius, known as Pliny the Younger. He is nephew of Gaius Polinius, aka Pliny the Elder, a commander of the Roman naval fleet and a naturalist who studied natural occurrences and was one of the few who likely understood that Vesuvius was an erupting volcano. Nephew and uncle were across the Bay of Naples in the city of Mycenaeum when Vesuvius erupted, and they watched in both awe and horror the initial eruptions of the famous mountain. It was close to one in the afternoon when the mighty Vesuvius exploded, suddenly and violently, with an unworldly strength of power. The molten rock erupted as foam, shooting high into the sky as a mighty, churning column some 15 kilometers or 9 miles straight up towards the heavens. The people of Pompeii had no concept of what is happening. They don't know that Vesuvius is a volcano or even what a volcano is. You see, there is no word in Latin for volcano. Because of this lack of knowledge, many who could have safely fled the city stayed behind. 
Some stayed to try and protect their property and wealth. Others stayed because family members were too sick or injured to leave. And one nobleman and his family stayed because their daughter was in an advanced stage of pregnancy. Sadly, the remains of that family would be found in one of the back rooms of the house. They had likely sought shelter there due to the damage and collapse of the roofs in the front part of the property. Within 30 minutes following the initial eruption, a dark cloud of ash drifts directly over Pompeii and hot pumice stones began raining down upon the city. Many of the residents of Pompeii who had begun to rush into the streets to escape the city were killed by the falling rocks. It's recorded that as protection, some of the Pompeians tied pillows over their heads to cushion them from the dangerous hail of volcanic rocks. The thick rain of stones fractured skulls and began accumulating on the roofs of the homes and businesses of the residents. The weakest of those roofs would collapse in quickly, with the accumulation rate estimated at nearly six inches per hour of hot, heavy stones. The other problem facing the people of Pompeii was that there was no wind on this fateful day to help force the enormous column of foaming molten rock away from the city and into the surrounding Bay of Naples and out to sea. In the meantime, Pliny the Elder, commander of the Roman naval fleet, had received a despairing letter from a family friend from across the bay. They were pleading for help to escape across the water to safety. In response, Pliny the Elder assigned orders and personally accompanied his 12 fastest ships into the stormy seas to rescue those stranded on the beautiful sandy coastline of Stabiae, five kilometers southwest of Pompeii and 16 kilometers from the erupting volcano. At 3 p.m., two hours later, Vesuvius continues to expel hot volcanic rock, projecting higher and higher into the sky and then violently hailing down onto the city. The seismic waves also rocked the sea and the ports. The surges of the waves littered the beaches and shores with the remains of dead fish and also was making it impossible for ships to approach the port. By 5 p.m., the dark cloud of ash ascends to nearly 25 kilometers or nearly 16 miles high. It covers the sun, blanketing the city in the darkness of night, broken only by the flashes of lightning and adding to the terror. The accumulating rock and ash has now buried the streets and is beginning to block doorways and exits. The decision of the citizens to flee or continue to seek refuge becomes more dire and both seemingly end in impending doom. Buildings, temples, and the roofs of homes continue to collapse throughout the night as the weight from the falling pumice 
lapilli, and ash continues to accumulate. Though debris is beginning to burst through doors and windows, sometime near one in the morning, the mounting cloud of the erupting Vesuvius peaks at 20 miles into the atmosphere and begins to collapse back towards the earth, sparking the first two pyroclastic surges. A pyroclastic surge is a mixture of extremely hot ash and gas and rock fragments with a higher ratio of gas to ash, making it incredibly mobile, like a cloud of boiling gas and debris. They are also moving incredibly fast and have been known to reach speeds up to 450 miles per hour. The first of these pyroclastic surges cascades down the northwest side of Mount Vesuvius. It is headed directly towards Herculaneum and killing anything and anyone in its path. Pyroclastic surges have been recorded to have temperatures ranging from 200 to 700 degrees Celsius or 390 to 1300 degrees Fahrenheit. Even inside a building, the air temperatures would increase to nearly 570 degrees Fahrenheit, easily hot enough to kill any living, breathing creature as inhaling the heated gas would instantly cause death. Some of the victims of the pyroclastic surge that destroyed Herculaneum were reported to have sustained heat so intense it boiled their brains and caused their skulls to explode. When it was all said and done, Herculaneum would be buried beneath 20 meters of volcanic debris. Back in Pompeii, the hail of pumice begins to recede between 5 and 6.30 in the morning, while darkness continues to shadow the rising sun. The third surge strikes and flows towards the city of Pompeii, but it's held back by the city walls. Pompeii and the remaining inhabitants are saved for the moment. In the 90 minutes that follow, Pompeii would be struck by a series of three more pyroclastic surges. The next two overpower the walls, and the clouds of superheated gas, ash, and debris flow across the cityscape, killing anything in its path. First, the intense heat would be felt approaching, followed by a gasping breath of hot gas and ash filling the lungs with fluid. The next breath inhaled would add more dust and ash to the lungs, creating a cement-like mixture of fiery, hot debris melting the lungs from the inside out. The majority of the deaths in Pompeii would occur during these surges. The final and most destructive surge occurs around 8 a.m. on August 25th. 
This surge is followed by an encore of fire and lightning, which destroyed most of the remaining buildings and structures that were not already buried in pumice and ash. The last surge reaches the coastline of Stabiae and into the Bay of Naples. Pliny the Elder had disembarked at Stabiae to lead the rescue mission, and it's estimated that as many as 2,000 people were rescued by his fleet of naval ships. Unfortunately for Pliny the Elder, it is reported that he inhaled too much of the toxic air while trying to load the ships with citizens seeking shelter and refuge across the bay. He laid down on the sandy beach and quietly stopped breathing, dying of asphyxiation. Most people probably don't realize that they are actually quite familiar with adages and sayings originating from the books authored by Pliny the Elder. He was actually quite well known for his writings of both military tactics and natural history. In fact, his oldest and possibly only surviving books are a series titled Naturalis Historia, consisting of 37 editions and covering scientific topics such as astronomy, medicine, and mathematics. Taken with a grain of salt, the only certainty is uncertainty. And perhaps his most famous saying was his response to his crew when it was suggested that they return to the port of Naples after fiery ash and stones began to fall upon the deck of his ship and all of his accompanying fleet. It is said that he replied with unflinching confidence, fortune favors the bold. Pliny the Younger continued to document the eruptions of Vesuvius in great detail. In fact, his historical account was so accurately recorded that even today, experts refer to similar volcanic activity as Plinian eruptions. Pliny the Younger's mother had implored him to evacuate their home overlooking the Bay of Naples 30 kilometers from the explosive volcanic activity, and they would finally escape, potentially in the nick of time, as the last and most powerful of the pyroclastic surges would reach across the bay. While the heat, ash, and debris would have lost most of its power before ever reaching the opposite coast, it was still a time of terror, unknown danger, and risk. The volcanic activity and tremors would continue for two more days. When the cloud of ash finally settled and the sun finally shone on the remains of the city, it appeared as if covered in fallen snow. The ash and stone had buried Pompeii five meters underneath its mass. Two centuries would pass before the streets of Pompeii would once again see the light of day. One third of Pompeii and two thirds of Herculaneum 
still remain unexcavated. Visiting Pompeii is like walking back in time. Many of the houses still have the original fresco paintings and mosaic tiled floors. You can walk through the ancient bathhouses, brothels, and fulleries. The most well-preserved of fulleries, known as the Fullery of Stephanus, when it was excavated was found with the front door locked from the inside and in the back of the building where the office would have been located. There was a skeleton and lying next to the bones of the deceased were coins of gold, silver, and bronze worth the equivalent of 10,000 euros. It is a truly remarkable experience to walk the streets of Pompeii. The streets you see were engineered. They're laid out and depressed into the ground, and stone crosswalks, if you will, are strategically placed across the streets throughout the city so that rainwater and waste from the horses could easily be washed away, and the stones were used so that people could easily cross the streets using those step stones to step over all of that wastewater. In 2016, my husband and I traveled to Italy for our five-year wedding anniversary. We spent several days in Rome, visited Vatican City, and booked a day trip on a charter bus to Pompeii and Mount Vesuvius. If I had to do it over again, I would have gone on our own instead of taking a large group tour mostly just to have the flexibility to spend as much time as we wanted exploring the different sites. Our trek up Mount Vesuvius was harder than we expected. It is very steep and the air gets very thin. And unfortunately for us, the day we went up the mountain, it was completely covered in a thick cloud of fog. So you could barely see your hand in front of your face, let alone into the crater of the volcano. So we do plan to go back one day. There are a couple of little shops at the top and three separate summits that I remember to look out upon on a clear day, of course. We were thrilled to find that they sold beer on top of the mountain. So we did stop to enjoy a cold refreshment while we were there. Pompeii itself is a tragically magical place to visit. It's almost as if you can still hear the echoes of the voices of the past. Pompeii was quite sophisticated at its time. They enjoyed the latest state-of-the-art technology as part of the Roman Empire, and this meant running water was abundant. It flowed to homes and businesses, and lavatories with sewer systems were even commonplace, which was a luxury that would have been almost unheard of back in the first century. Vesuvius itself remains a dangerous and active volcano. It last erupted in 1944, killing 26 people and destroying the surrounding towns and villages. The mountain has been quiet for 74 years, but experts anticipate it will be due for another major eruption in the not-so-distant future. The last major eruption was in 1631, and it left an estimated 6,000 victims in its path. 
Today, the large metropolitan city of Naples is only 12 kilometers from the volcano, and with a population of more than 3 million people, and another more than half a million people living even closer, less than 10 kilometers away, and right in the path of a possible pyroclastic surge if Mount Vesuvius were to ever wake up. I'm Autumn Rivas, and I thank you for joining me in a darkly lit place. I hope you enjoyed hearing about the history of Pompeii and Mount Vesuvius, and please take a moment to stop by the website, adarklylitplace.com, for more information, along with a photo gallery. A Darkly Lit Place is also on Twitter and Instagram, both with the handle at adarklylitplace. Please click follow and say hello, and I will look forward to meeting you back here in two weeks. As always... Thank you for listening.